0: Hello and welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. I'm Tony Clark, your host. And I've got a special guest once again on the program, and his name is Aaron Burke. Now, Aaron is the senior pastor of Radiant Church. He's also the author of a brand new book. It's called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. Aaron is the lead pastor of Radiant Church which he and his wife, Katie, started in 2013 after selling everything and moving in faith to a new city. Radiant Church now has eight campuses throughout the Tampa Bay community. Aaron's passions are building the local church and helping Christians live their God-given potential. Now, more information can be found out about Aaron, his church, and also his book at WeAreRadiant.com. Once again, WeAreRadiant.com. Dot com. But, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and talking with me today.
1: Thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate it.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. It, it's an honor on my end. So, Aaron, I, I love backstory. So, let's talk about your backstory. And, and in your book, I, I think in chapter two, you go into detail about some of your backstory and maybe one of the reasons why you wrote this book. But I think it's called The Redirected Reject. And you talk about man's rejection leads to God's direction. And you also talk about your your high school story where you were kicked out as a young man. You want to talk about that, how rejection leads to redirection, and maybe tie your story into that as well.
1: Yeah, well, the whole idea of the book is the unfair advantage. It's the idea of the unfair things in our life that God uses for our advantage. And many times we don't know it until we're way past it. To realize, wait, I needed to go through that, and with my life, I realized this, um, and I had this moment where I recognized it. But I wasn't until about 20 until I recognized what I had went through when I was 17, uh, 16, 17 years old was actually necessary. What happened is I got real. I mean, I got saved, called into ministry at 16 years old. My life got radically transformed by God. But then, uh, about a year later, I get expelled from high school, little Christian school I was at, and uh, it was totally unfair. I mean, it was wrong. I shouldn't have got expelled, but it was a total crazy scenario. But I ended up going to the junior college for my senior year instead of being there right at that uh, at the small school. Got a year of college done um, during my high school year there as I finished up high school. Ended up going to college, finished in three years instead of four years. On the day of my graduation, I got invited to be a full-time missionary, take this um, organization out in South Asia. And I remember being on that airplane at 20 years old, flying around the world going, God, the only reason I'm here is because I went through the trial then. And I got rejected then. And it brought me to this whole idea, man, it was unfair but it's for my advantage. And we see it through all of our lives. We live life forward, but we really understand it backwards. Don't we? Like when we look back and you go, it had to happen and we see it in all of our lives, but we see it in the life of Joseph. And that's why I wrote the book. The seven uh, areas where there's unfair things that you go through that are actually obstacles that'll turn into opportunities if you handle them well.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that, that instance of rejection leading to redirection and, and you, you had maybe a glimpse. It looks like when you were on the plane, that if, if this would not have happened, this would, this would not have happened. Um, Did it take years to fully understand that better? Or, or did you come to a conclusion just like that and understand it? Or did time have to
1: pass? It always takes time, doesn't it? Because everything with God takes longer than we want it to take. (laughs) But it's gonna be better than you can imagine. And so I wanna encourage some people right now, you're in the middle of this season and you're going, When is it gonna change? When am I gonna see the fruit of what I've been uh, believing for? Sometimes it just takes a long time. And we see it with Joseph's life in the scriptures, and he's kind of the main character of, of the whole book where I'm talking about. And Joseph, this is obviously the Joseph of the Old Testament. And his story is he gets a dream from God, it's 13 years. 13 years of pain, 13 years of being rejected, overlooked, underpaid, forgotten. You know, it's like moment after moment where it's tough before he sees his breakthrough 13 years later. So I want to encourage some people today to just let them know uh, it's going to take some time. Because now um, I'm almost 40, um, 39 years old, and I, I can look back and now it's not just that one instance It's Now it's like, oh, I I was seeing a little bit of it. Now I get to see the big picture of, wow, God was orchestrating my life the whole time. And I'm no exception. I'm just a normal guy, just like everybody else. God has a plan for everybody's life, but you're going to have to give it some time.
0: Yeah, Aaron, and... What advice? Uh, so, so a lot of folks probably listening on the podcast or watching uh, this interview—they're—they're they're going through those times, they're, they're, those desert, I guess, experiences, uh, a similar way to Joseph, and the similar way that that you did, that about rejection leading to redirection. How would you encourage them in that waiting period? What should they be about? And I'm speaking to the the person who has put their faith in Christ, the believer, the follower of Christ. What what should they be busy with? I mean, uh, c- can you give some advice in that area?
1: Yeah, well, Joseph's story is so remarkable because he, you know, he gets he has a dream. His brothers reject him. He gets sold into slavery. He works at Potiphar's house for a few years. Then he's wrongfully accused. Uh, you know, he's attacked by you know, come on to by Potiphar's wife. Wrongfully accused, then gets thrown into prison. He's in prison for almost ten years. Scholars say. 10 years. So you got 10 years of being just forgotten, waiting. And what I wanted people to understand is that there's a purpose to your wait. So when you're in the season of waiting and you feel frustrated and you're going, I just don't know why I'm in this time. I don't know why. I pray for a spouse and I haven't got it yet. I've been praying for a child, haven't got it yet. I've been praying for that business, haven't received it yet. There's always a purpose in it. And I think the Lord's always doing a few things. One, he's always trying to develop us personally. And there's something he's trying to teach. I give a cool revelation in the book that's one of my favorites is uh, where I started researching the prison systems of the ancient world. And prisons didn't exist around the ancient world, but they did in Egypt. Egypt was one of the very few places that had prisons. And they had this whole idea of reprogramming and educating their prisoners. So there's this beautiful idea that I realized going, isn't that like our God? is that God would take this man, Joseph, have a dream in his heart. He's going to be second in command. But Joseph's going to move to a place that's hundreds of miles away without any education, without any language training, without any cultural training. And what would he do? He'd put him in prison, the place that the Egyptians would send their teachers to educate people. So God sent Joseph to school for 10 years. And I think it's a beautiful picture. While you're waiting, God's teaching you something. The question is, what is God teaching me in this season? So I've been rejected. I haven't got the job. Haven't had the breakthrough. Great leaders, great Christians ask that question. Okay, what is God teaching me in this season? So he's always trying to teach me something. I think he's also always trying to connect me with someone and because God builds his kingdom through relationships. And so it was in the prison that Joseph got the the, the connection with the cupbearer and the, the the baker in the prison, which eventually led him to his his breakthrough. And I have found in the toughest seasons of my life, that's usually where God connects me relationally with someone that'll bring me breakthrough. So what are you doing during a waiting season? You're letting God work in you and you're letting God connect you relationally. And then my last one is simply this, is what are you doing during that season? You're learning to trust God. So you're learning as a Christian going, okay, I release control. We didn't just release control when we got saved. We have to release control every single day. <laughs> I'm not in charge. You're in charge. I'm not going to be in control. You are. So I'm always doing those three things. I'm going, I'm personally getting developed. I'm getting connected with other people during the season because God builds His his kingdom relationally. And then I'm just learning to trust God. And I think Joseph did all three of those during his prison. So he's rejected, gets in a prison. And through that, as he does all three of those, the Lord promotes him.
0: Well, and, and actually before reading this book, I I'd never thought of that. If, if Joseph would not have been in the prison system, he wouldn't have the skills yep. to lead. And I'd, I'd never really thought about that. So that's that's really an insight into those passages that I, I did not see before. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about, I think it's chapter 5, Aaron, about the oppressed opportunist, opportunist if I can pronounce it. Yeah. But purpose in the prison, and I think maybe in this chapter you give one or two examples of some famous writers, mm-hmm. of, of some famous books that a lot of Christians know about. You want to talk about that, and and they're waiting
1: yeah, yeah, it was so crazy because I researched um, people that were in prison that wrote. Um, I think the most, I mean, Don Kyoto, Quixote, Don Quixote, who was obviously one of the most famous writers of all time, wrote in prison. Uh, the the one that was shocking to me was uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan was written while John Bunyan was in prison. And I thought about that, and it's a beautiful picture of Joseph's life, but it's a, it's a challenge for all of us. How are you making the most of your dark seasons, of your tough seasons? So, you know, you're a, young, you're a young person that wants to preach and you go, I want to preach, I want to preach. Are you studying right now? Are you developing right now? You're a young entrepreneur and you want to build a business, but you don't got it yet. Okay. Are you saving? Are you learning the, the grit? Are you listening to a good podcast? You've got you to understand no season is wasted with God. And I always say that waiting seasons are not wasted seasons. They're actually some of our greatest working seasons. We'll invest in them because there's something God wants to do in you during that tough season. So I looked at those those authors and I go, they put into practice what I'm trying to teach in this passage, this idea that while you're in prison, there's purpose to it. And I hope that encourages some people to like, hey, you know, I mean, this book, I, I wrote, I wrote the book during COVID, you know, you talk about a, 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 a shutdown season for the world. And it's like, how do you deal with seasons where do you just feel like I'm not in the limelight? I'm not in the spotlight. I'm not experiencing my dream yet, but I'm going to be faithful behind the scenes. And the God that sees what's done behind the scenes will reward you in front of everybody.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> And one of the things I appreciate this book, Aaron, about this book, uh, I think it's chapter three. You talk about the wageless worker and a lot of these principles and precepts can be applied to anyone, regardless you have faith or you don't have faith. You talk about work ethic and what you've learned in your life about work ethic and also the attitude, maybe that I'm out here and I'm in a dead end job. And I don't want to go to work every day. It's kind of, it's nothing but a paycheck. But you you list some steps, I think, in this chapter to give um, a a strategy, a plan. Even if it's a job that you can't stand, you can really stand out. Regardless of who you are, these precepts and principles apply. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, Joseph's story is so crazy. I mean, you got to think he gets sold into slavery. He gets purchased by a guy named Potiphar, and then he's in Potiphar's house. Now, if I was Joseph, and Potiphar goes, hey, we want you to do this job or whatever, I'd go, you're not paying me. You, you, didn't, you know, you're not, you don't own me. We, don't, we, we have this mentality that, you know, we only give out what we've been, you know, paid to do. And Joseph never did that. The Bible says he excelled in Potiphar's house. And I thought about that when I was reading it, going, that's a different attitude than the entitled attitude of so many people today, where he goes, you know what? It doesn't matter what they're paying me. It doesn't matter how much they support me, how much they celebrate me. I'm going to bring my best. I'm going to work hard, even if I'm not getting paid to work hard. And I remember getting my first job. I was 15 years old at McDonald's working, I mean, making, I think it was $4.75 Four seventy-five 75 an hour, I think, and then it went up to 5 15 you know, a big, it was nothing, and I remember getting that, working, And but it was never about working for my boss, it was about the fact that I was working as unto the Lord, I just loved it, I, lo- I, had, a, I had an ethic of just, I'm going to work unto the Lord, and if you're in a job right now, and you're not happy with where you're at, and you're not happy with what they're paying you, and you're You're giving a half-hearted effort because they're giving you a half-hearted paycheck. Let me challenge you. Change your perspective in this. I think Christians should be the hardest workers in every career. They should bring their best because the Bible says we are working as unto the Lord. So Joseph made a decision. My work ethic is going to be good no matter what they do because I understand my reward isn't coming from them. It's coming from him. And I'm telling you, God promotes way better than a human can ever promote. He, God blesses way better than a human ever blesses. We want, we want our boss to be happy with me, with us. I just want God to be happy with me. And God sees what's done in secret and he rewards openly. And your boss really only sees what's done openly and hopefully rewards you in secret, but sometimes they don't. So you just got to trust God in this, in this um, situation, in this season in your life.
0: And I, I, in this chapter, also, you talk about work can be our worship, and maybe some confusion in the body of Christ about what worship is, and and we we tend to categorize worship as only something me singing on Sunday morning, singing worship songs, and and certainly that can be a part of it, but you talk about worship is much a, a much broader than just going to church on Sunday for the believer. You want to expand just a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, worship should be a lifestyle that we live. And when it comes to the fact that everything we do, we do it all for the glory of God. So the way I talk to my spouse should be worship. The way I, I love my children should be worship. The way the way I, I write the book should be worship because everything I do is glory to God. And I'll tell you, if you're going to spend 40, 50, 60 hours of your week doing something, then make sure that you spend that 40, 50, 60 hours of your week doing something that glorifies God. And the way you glorify God through your job is you make your job an act of worship. So you're going to bring excellence to the table because we're not, you read the Levitical tradition and all this stuff in the Pentateuch and you see how they designed the tabernacle and the temple and God is a God of excellence, so that when we bring excellence to the table, we're glorifying God. When we bring the right attitude to the table, an attitude of serving, just like Christ came, not to be served, but to serve, we're worshiping God. So we worship God through our work. And I, I'm just telling you, you have an opportunity to be the best um, experience that people have. You might be the only Jesus that a lot of people in your workplace will ever see. But many times Christians give, uh, give us kind of a bad name because we, we bring our best to the Lord on Sundays at church, and we bring the worst to the Lord Monday through Friday at our workplace, and that should change. We got to bring our best even throughout the week. And so everything I do, I do it as it's, it's my worship as unto the Lord well
0: extremely uh, good biblical insight that that you have in this book uh, in all of these chapters and it, it kind of relates to I you know I I, I get tired of uh, Christian symbols out there on uh, car repair places that do a horrible job and have That's horrible true. customer service yep. and I, I drive by these places I, I know the I know the service that they give and I'm think This is embarrassing. If you're going to represent Christ, if you're going to have a Christian symbol out there, then you should be excellent at what you do. Absolutely. Or if you're a musician, if you're whatever field that you find yourself in, you know, you you should be, we should, should, as believers, we should strive to be the best. So I think that you really cover that in that chapter.
1: Yeah, I, I think if we could learn that in our life, we would be a better witness. Because many times we have amazing words to speak. To people, we have the right truth, but we don't have the right lifestyle. <laughs> and if we can line up our lifestyle with truth, we become a lot more believable to people, and they'll want what we have.
0: Yeah, and and you're right, Aaron. And there's a there's another chapter. It was hard to read this chapter. I think it's chapter four. It talks about the seduced saint, mm. and. You're speaking specifically to the body of Christ here. And, and you talk about a Hebrew word that's found in the Proverbs. And I, I, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, but I think it's akarit. And it's, it's that which comes after or the final end. And, and, and you talk about a life of, of integrity as your greatest advantage. You list an example of, uh, I'm not going to mention names, but a, a famous theologian who fell morally and uh, you talk about we should live a life of integrity because that's our greatest advantage. You want to speak to the church about this chapter?
1: Yeah, you know, Joseph has a decision to make. And the Bible tells us he and he continually was approached by Potiphar's wife. You know, eventually it says that he had to avoid her. You know, so she's coming in the kitchen. He's running around the living room like this girl was after him. But he had to make an int- intentional decision to choose to do what's right even when it's tough and even when probably his flesh wanted it. You gotta think in his life, he probably thought this would be a way to get promoted, get blessed, but he made the right choice. And I'll tell you, what we need today is a revival of people who will be the real deal even behind the scene. Like, uh, uh, we all have a gap, you know, we all have a gap of who we are, who we say we are versus who we actually are behind the scene. And the goal is integrity closes that gap. That's why it comes from a, uh, a Greek word. that means integer, which is just simply means whole or one, like on the real deal. There's not like a, an Aaron version that's on Friday nights and then an Aaron version on Sunday mornings and then an Aaron version on Tuesday at work. Like, no, they're the same guy. And you got to work on making sure you're becoming a person of integrity. How do you do it? You recognize the Aharit, that sin has consequences, And the devil does a really good job at blinding us from the fact that we will all deal with the consequences of our sin. And so what he wants you to think is just have fun. There's nobody's going to know. No, you're never going to have an issue with it. It's eventually going to come out. So what I tell people is you got to, you got to make a decision. Either you bring it to light or God brings it to light eventually. Um, so I just want to challenge you. Like, be the real deal. If you're struggling, get help. If you need some accountability around you, get some friends and some brothers. And that that's why these podcasts, these connections that get people around you who can genuinely help you in this season, because I'm telling you, we need each other to be the real deal. Let me tell you one insight I had of this. I was thinking, I was thinking what kept Joseph from sinning in that moment? You know, what was it that made him make this decision? And I thought about it, I go, I wonder if it's in his mind, he thought, I remember Uncle Esau. I remember Uncle Esau. Uncle Esau was, um, was his uncle. That was His dad was Jacob, and Jacob and Esau were twins. You know, they came out of the womb fighting. And Esau had the birthright, had the inheritance. But Esau went out and went hunting one day and was, you know, out in the, in the heat. And he was so famished, he came back in, and Jacob had a bowl of stew there. And Esau said, I'll give you anything for it. And Jacob's like, well, then give me your birthright. Give me your inheritance. What a dumb trade. That's the stupidest trade of all time right there. And yet I bet it went down through the family history. Do you remember how dumb Esau was? He gave up so much for so little. And that's what sin does. Sin wants you to give up so much. Give up your marriage. Give up your legacy. Give up your joy. Give up your connection with God. Give up that intimacy that you have with the Holy Spirit for just so little, a little bit of satisfaction at the moment. And that's what I say about the Ahari. Remember, remember how you feel after you sin. And then if you'll remember that, you won't sin again the next time because you'll remember the pain. Remember, sin has consequences.
0: And I, I don't want to I want people to read the book. And please, if you're listening or you're watching, you can go to weareradio.com and you can find the book and you can purchase it there. But and I don't want to give too much away, uh, but I, I think it's helpful you talk about a game maybe that you played as a young man called Shoots and Ladders. Yeah. And I think you related it to some of these examples. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. Shoots and Ladders, it's got one to a hundred, you know, on a board and and you kind of roll the dice and you decide how many you go. on And there's ladders. We've all loved the ladders. You know, the ladders are you're on one level and you get promoted to the next level. And a ladders to me is the grace of God, isn't it? It's the favor of God. We didn't deserve the breakthrough. We didn't deserve the promotion. We didn't deserve the relationship. God just promoted. I think of when I got married, I was like, I am going to about four different levels right there just because of who I got married to. It helps a lot. But the shoots are those slides. The shoots are what I call your cracks in your integrity. It's those moments that you let your integrity lapse. And what is, you can have a ladder that can bring you up, but you can also have a shoot that'll bring you all the way back down. And I'm telling you, guard yourselves from the shoots in life. Those moments in life where you want to give into your inte- give into to your flesh, because it it takes a long time to climb the mountain of success, but it only takes a few seconds, one terrible decision, to slide all the way back down.
0: Great example. Great example. Uh... Aaron, you've got a concluder or a conclusion in your book. It does. It talks about discovering your, your unfair advantage. Yeah. You talk about the equation that you give and the equation is my personality plus my passions, plus my pain, plus God's plan. You want to, yeah. you just want to kind of sum that up a little bit for us.
1: Yeah. I always thought like, how do we get to God's plan and like God's purpose for my life? And I had always been taught. I had taught it as a pastor, your personality and your passions. Those are the two things. So your personality is your kind of makeup, who you are. Um, I've heard it said that your design reveals your destiny. So how God designed you. Um, So it's your personality and then your passions. What are those things that make you come alive? That's all connected to God's plan for your life. And I think we missed it. We missed it because we only gave two things, but it's actually three. It's not just personality and, and passions. It's also your pain. Your pain is connected to your greater story because it is. Your misery is always your greatest ministry. You, the tests you've been through will be part of your testimony. So we, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect to people and impact them through our weaknesses. So insert your pain into your purpose. When you think about why do I exist, look at what you've been through. And that's the reason why you exist because you're supposed to help other people who have been through the same thing. So you get a lot more details at the, uh, on the book. I'm in the book. Um, it's really cool. Even it's my first book I've ever come out with. So it's cool to hear people from all over America going through it, but, uh, you can find it on Amazon. I actually did the audible too. So if you don't like regular books and you just want to hear it, you get to listen to my voice for five hours and that, how fun does that sound? So it's available.
0: Well, again, it's 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 a great book. Cause, uh, I'm very, very impressed, very intrigued. And uh, it, it's actually a book that, that I read all the way that I've read all the way through. So thank you for that, um, which I'm a- a- ADD, so I don't meet, read many books all the way through. So right. that's a compliment. Um, so uh, we are radiant dot com. A- again, I'll put all of your links, Aaron, below the video so folks can check you out, can check your book out and, and find uh, the opportunity to, to purchase the book, whether in paper or Audible as well. Um, Aaron, what's on your agenda? What do you got coming up?
1: You know, um, our church is just continually doing our part to reach the Tampa Bay area and just launch our ninth location. So if anybody's ever in the Tampa Bay area, come join us at Radiant Church. And then uh, I always get the opportunity, by God's grace, to travel around and speak at different places. You can find a lot of information about me at com, But um, it's it's just been cool. It's cool to see what the book is doing and being on podcasts just like yours and connect with audiences. And I hope it helps people. And we all have an unfair advantage. So I hope as you read The Unfair Advantage, you're able to discover yours and see how you can walk into all that God has for you.
0: Absolutely. And I encourage you to buy the book. But But again, the book is Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. Aaron, I'm going to ask you to stay on 30 seconds post interview, but thank you so much, man, for coming on and talking about your new book.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. And until next time.